0: Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of the show. Now, this past week was the 21st anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and today we're going to talk a bit about that and commemorate some of the heroes that contributed to saving lives and rescuing people that day. Uh, Not only were they people that helped, but it was also our four-legged friends, Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today on the show. Now, we also have to talk about the fact that we lost Queen Elizabeth II this past week, and we can't ignore her love for animals, her love for dogs, and we're going to do a little tribute to her today as well. So you can join us back next week for our regular programming, but today we're going to have a little bit of tribute to the heroes of September 11th, as well as Queen Elizabeth II. So I hope you enjoyed today's show, and thanks for listening. Next on Speak A Dogcast: 9-11 Heroes been 21 years since September 11th, 2001, there's a here that doesn't go by that I don't think about and reflect back on my own experience of that day. And you know, I was only 15 years old, I was in high school. But I think back to before that, when I was much younger, my mom would tell me stories um, about these pivotal moments, historical moments that she experienced in her own life. And one especially that sticks out is the assassination of JFK. Now my mom could tell me everything, I mean, everything about that day and her experience with it, what was said, who she was with, where she was, everything that happened, because it's incredible how our memories, memories just kind of cement that stuff in, don't they? So, you know, I think to my own experience of September 11th is sort of similar in that way, and especially being so young, it really had a profound impact Uh, on, on, you know, the way you view the world and think about the world. And um, obviously it changed everything for everyone around the world that day. Um, So, you know, the one thing that really always sticks with me, though, and it really does, it really does, it's the bravery of the incredible heroic actions of the police, the firefighters, the paramedics, the volunteers, and of course the dogs, the four-legged friends that helped rescue so many people, the rescue efforts, the, the, the overall feeling of togetherness that our country had in the moments after that day were incredible. You know, for those of you out there that are too young um, to have memories of it, I encourage you to go read history. Go, go open a history book. Go talk to somebody who experienced it. Hear their stories, because it's very important that you understand. Everything that happened, the events leading up to it, the events after, and the incredible heroics, incredible heroics that happened afterward. So today I just wanted to highlight some of those stories, and especially, of course, as a dog podcast, we're going to talk about those dog heroes today. There were a lot of dog heroes. There is estimated to be around 300 dogs that took part in the search and rescue efforts at Ground Zero after 9-11. So we're gonna actually start with probably the most iconic and famous dog of, of September 11th and that's Riley now Riley was that dog most one of the most famous pictures he was that dog being carried across and hoisted across that line over all the debris now he was sitting there calmly waiting to arrive at his next mission it was just it was, it was an incredible picture Riley was originally trained to recover living people though he did help to recover several bodies of firefighters. Next on the list, we have Kobe and Guinness. Now, these were two labs who searched tirelessly through the rubble, working 12-hour shifts for 11 days. Then there's Thunder and his handler, Kent Olson. Now, they actually traveled all the way from Lakewood, Washington, to help in the rescue efforts. Thunder had been trained to sniff out survivors of avalanches and possible drownings, but had never been part of a rescue mission on this scale or this far from home. Another incredible four-legged hero here was Tracker. Tracker was a German shepherd who found the very last survivor of the collapse. Uh, The last survivor was a woman who had been buried underneath rubble for 27 hours before being found. Now, before Tracker died in 2009, a sample of his DNA was taken and entered into a cloning contest and was later chosen for use. Now, in June of that year, five clone trackers were born. The smallest dog working search and rescue efforts at Ground Zero was Ricky. Ricky was a rat terrier that stood at just 17 inches tall. Now, his small stature actually allowed him to squeeze into places that no other dog could go. He and his trainer searched the ruins for 10 straight days. And then there's the story of two guide dogs. Uh, Obviously, these were not search and rescue in the aftermath. But these two guide dogs who just happened to be there on this fateful day, Salty and Roselle. Now, Salty was a yellow lab born in 1996 and trained by Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Part of his training included uh, included trips on the subway and getting used to traffic in the Bronx. His owner was Omar Rivera, who worked for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey as a senior systems designer. Now, on the morning of September 11, 2001, Salty and Rivera were in their office in the World Trade Center on the 71st floor of Tower One, Salty was sitting beside Rivera's desk when they heard a loud boom, and the building began to sway. Rivera grabbed Salty's lead, and Salty navigated him around people and debris and down the crowded stairwell. About halfway down, a co-worker trying to help tried to take Salty's leash, but the dog refused to leave Mr. Rivera and instead led him to safety. Now, similar to Salty Roselle, another guide dog was with her owner, Michael Hinkson, asleep under his desk when the attack commenced. They were on the 78th floor of Tower 1 when the hijacked airplane crashed into the tower 18 floors above them. Now, Hinkson had called his wife, Karen, and then he made sure to evacuate his staff. Then he and Roselle began their descent 78 flights of stairs down while the building swayed. Hinkson later said while everyone ran in panic Roselle remained totally focused on her job while debris fell around us it even hit us Roselle stayed calm Roselle led Hinkson through smoke debris fleeing workers until they reached a subway entrance where they helped another woman who had been blinded by falling debris In the aftermath of the attacks both Salty and Roselle were awarded Dickin Medals for remaining loyally at the side of their blind owners, courageously leading them down more than 70 floors of the World Trade Center, and to a place of safety following the terrorist attack on September 11, 2001. Before September 11, 2001, few people were really aware of the efforts of search and rescue dogs. Now, another abbreviation for search and rescue is SAR, so they're also known as SAR dogs. The stories and pictures that emerged following September 11th really inspired a lot of people to go out and get their own certification for their dogs. The search and rescue effort on September 11th, it really was unlike any other effort that had ever been done before. You know, dogs had never even been used on such a scale like this. And after the effort was completed, there were studies done not only on the physical effects, but the mental and behavioral effects for people and dogs. Now, we all know the unfortunate side effects that it had on people after that day, but the question remained, what about the dogs? There was actually a study done from the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine to find out the results, and amazingly, the dogs were not affected. Their bravery is humbling, quite frankly, and the ability that these dogs had to go out there and do what they did alongside their owners and their handlers it is nothing short of a miracle. So I thank all of the firefighters, paramedics, police officers, search and rescue dogs, people, everybody out there in their efforts. It was a humbling experience to say the least, a horrible tragedy. But every day I tip my hat to those who put themselves in danger and help save lives. Now, if you guys would like to get more involved with dog charities and nonprofits that help promote canines and veterans and those uh, first responders with PTSD, I've got a little short list here of different organizations you can check out. Now, the first one is going to be the U.S. War Dogs Association. You can go to www.uswardogs.org to check out more information. Now, they actually help provide assistance in finding homes for retired working dogs. Now, there is also the Warrior Dog Foundation, Check them out, WarriorDogFoundation.org. Now, they also help uh, take canine military working dogs and transition them to civilian life, helping find their forever homes. Yes. Now, there is also Paws and Stripes. Go to PawsAndStripes.org to check out their website. Now, they provide service dogs for wounded military veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injury. can also check out a wonderful organization. Uh, I love this one because we actually had them on the show. Uh, Well, excuse me, we had their founder on the show. We didn't have them. Maybe we'll look forward to having them on the show. Uh, But that's Canines for Warriors. Yes, their founder, Brett Simon, actually came on the show on our guest spot a little while back. He came to talk about the wonderful work he's now doing at the Big Dog Ranch Rescue, down by me, down here in West Palm Beach, Florida. He's continuing the Canines for Warriors program's mission, essentially, uh, and extending it toward a new program at the Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Now let's focus on Canines for Warriors for a moment. Uh, you can check out their website at CaninesForWarriors.org. That's K, the number nine, the letter S for warriors.org. Now they're one of the most well-known organizations for these working dogs, right? They provide service canines for warriors suffering from uh, suffering from PTSD, traumatic brain injury, or military sexual trauma as a result of military service from post 9-11. Canines for Warriors not only rebuilds lives, but creates forever families for dogs in need. Wonderful organization. Be sure you check them out. Another great organization is nowzad.org. That's N-O-W-Z-A-D.org. This charity's original purpose was to help soldiers in Afghanistan bring home the dogs they adopted on the front lines. To date, Over 700 soldiers serving in Afghanistan have been reunited with their adopted dogs and cats once back in their home countries. Yes, wonderful organization. They are actually also registered as a charity in England and Wales as well. So be sure you check that out, guys. N O W Z A D A lot of wonderful organizations doing wonderful work out there with canines, with veterans, with first responders, and those with PTSD. So thank you to everybody doing amazing work with animals and people and helping everybody heal from these traumatic uh, traumatic events. So uh, this is really wonderful stuff, guys. Make sure you check out all these websites. Give where you can. Do what you can to help. And thank you. Thank you to all of our military, all of our first responders for everything you do. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the Queen's Corgis. Now, we all know that this past week we lost Queen Elizabeth II at 96 years old. And, you know, one thing that always has stuck with me about the Royals is their love for animals and their pets. And even with Queen Elizabeth, you know, it goes back into her family. Uh, Queen Victoria, I believe it's her great-great-grandmother, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Queen Victoria, we know, is a huge animal advocate, did wonders for the animal world, and obviously the dog world as well. So that predisposition for loving animals... Obviously genetic, it's right there. And not only did Queen Elizabeth love her corgis, but her parents did too. Now, these were the royal corgis, Pembroke Welsh Corgi Dogs, that were owned by the Queen, and her parents, King George VI, and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Now, Queen Elizabeth had grown fond of corgis since she was a young child. She fell in love with them by uh, because the children... Of Queen, uh, excuse me, the children of the Marquis of Bath, they own Corgis, and that was her first introduction. Now King George, he brought home Dookie in 1933, and that was her first dog. As a matter of fact, a photo from George's, uh, King George's photo album shows a ten-year-old Princess Elizabeth with Dookie at Balmoral. Now, Elizabeth and her sister Princess Margaret, they would feed Dookie by hand from a dish held by a footman. In 1944, Elizabeth was given Susan as a gift for her 18th birthday. Now, Susan was a corgi and she accompanied Elizabeth on everywhere she went. As a matter of fact, Elizabeth even snuck her along on her honeymoon in 1947. Yeah, Now, interesting thing is majority of the corgis owned by the Queen are actually direct descendants from Susan. Now, the Queen owned well over 30 corgis since her accession to the throne in 1952. Now, that doesn't even count any of the cross. or anything like that necessarily. So that's a lot of dogs. Now, the names started off pretty simple, pretty straightforward, right? We had Monty, Susan, Holly, and Emma. There was a Lynette, a Willow, a Noble, Heather. But then they started getting a little more, you know, interesting. Then we had Candy and Sugar, Foxy, Bushy, Brush, Honey, Whiskey, Sherry, Vulcan, Cider, Berry, Flash, Spick, Span, Tiny Bisto, and Oxo. <laughs> now, of course, it wouldn't be any other way. The Corgis enjoyed enjoyed a wonderfully privil- privileged life at Buckingham Palace. They resided in a room aptly named the Corgi Room. Yes, they all slept in wonderfully decorated elevated wicker baskets. Now, the Queen did have two footmen that tended to these dogs. They were fondly referred to as Doggy One and Doggy Two. But at the same time, the queen tended to the dogs herself. She was often known to feed them, take care of them. She walked them twice a day. She really had her hand in there, and it wasn't a matter of just letting her staff handle them. Now, obviously, the queen also had a love for breeding them, so she was an integral part of the breeding process as well. Now, corgis had an extensive menu at the palace, right? included fresh rabbit, beef, all served by their own gourmet chef. Now, as we've learned in the United States history, a lot of our presidents didn't necessarily have the best behave and the most well-behaved dogs. And look, it wasn't very different with Queen Elizabeth. While she did have some nice pooches, some of her dogs maybe not so much and could have benefited from some training. Now, on several occasions, the staff And even the Queen herself had been injured by the corgis over the years. First being in 1954, the palace clockwinder Leonard Hubbard, he was bitten by Susan upon entering the nursery at the Royal Lodge, Windsor. Now, later in the same year, one of the Queen Mother's corgis, he bit a policeman on guard duty in London. Yes, now... In 1968, Peter Doig called for the royal staff to put up a Beware of the Dog sign at Balmoral after one of the corgis bit a postman. Now, it just kind of keeps going, unfortunately. In February 89, it was reported that the royal family had hired an animal psychologist to tame the dogs after they had developed a habit of nipping all of them and the staff Oh my goodness! But it didn't end. There was more incidents, so we'll kind of we'll we'll move on from that. <laughs> now, of course, the royal corgis are known all across the world. They were very closely associated with Queen Elizabeth. Now They have had also numerous statues dedicated to them, works of art, and because of the Queen's fondness for the Welsh Corgi, there was actually an increased uh, interest in breeding them. And there were a record number of them exhibited at the 1954 West Australian Canine Association's Royal Show. Now, it was reported in about 2015 that the queen had stopped breeding corgis. She didn't wish any of the dogs to survive her in the event of her death. Yes. Now, in 2018, that was where we lost Willow. Willow was the last of the full-bred corgis. At the time, she'd only had one other dorgie alive, and that was Candy. Now, during the pandemic, when she was, you know, Philip's health was failing, um, her son Andrew actually decided to gift her two more corgis, Muick and, and a door. Excuse me, it was actually a corgi and a dorgi. Muick was a corgi, and Fergus was the dorgi. Now, Fergus sadly died three months later. Maybe it sounds like he had some health problems. Um, and so she had Muick, and it took her back up to four dogs. At the time of her passing, she still had these dogs. So I know there's a lot of questions being thrown around. There's even some articles being written about it of what's going to happen to these dogs. I don't really think it's a question, guys. I mean, come on. We all know the royal family loves their animals. They love their pets. And, of course, they all love the queen. So, rightfully so. They're going to take care of them. They're going to figure out who's going to take them. And those dogs will be very well cared for. Obviously, they'll miss their queen. Um, But, you know, they'll be looked after, well cared for, and I'm sure they'll be taken care of. Now, we all loved the Queen. I mean, you know, look, I was never, I'm never, I'm not like this big royal fan or anything. But recently, because of of shows like The Crown and all these other shows about the royals, it does get you interested. And I am a history buff at the end of the day. I really am. I do love history. And what the queen did with modernizing the monarchy was, it was incredible. It was fascinating. And her personality, her wit, um, her, her, you know, it really was awesome. And you could tell she absolutely loved her dogs. She was a dog lover at the end of the day. And who couldn't love a queen who's a dog lover? That's going to conclude the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. And a very special thank you to all of our first responders out there, our police, firefighters, paramedics, and nurses. Thank you every day for everything you do and the ultimate sacrifice you make. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.